Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for, for just your amazing work in this place today, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that baptism is the start of a faith journey and not the culmination of a faith journey. Thank you, Lord God, that you say believe and be baptized. So we just pour a mighty blessing on everyone who has taken that step. For Jill, who's been thinking about this for a while, for those who decided to make that step for themselves today, Lord God, will they know your Holy Spirit with them? And as we come round to your word now, we pray that we will hear your voice speaking to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Cue the intro. My boss is terrible, period. I gotta punctuate it. I said I loved your shirt, but behind your back I said I hate it. The lightning strike me down. If I lie, me no one be around when my tongue's untied. Everybody says it's okay. All the little things I say with my big fat mouth. La 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 So we're starting a new sermon series today called My Big Fat Mouth. This was a sermon series which was actually produced by a church called Life Church. This is my interpretation of it. And I'm using some of the illustrations and thoughts within it with permission. Uh, But I think this is a really important sermon series for us to get our teeth into and us to think about. As we, as a church, lay out a vision for the future, as we look to what we believe God is calling us to do and where he is calling us to go, We need to realize and recognize that there is a part of our body which can either propel our mission for Christ and take us forward in the journey that Jesus has for us, or it can stop us absolutely dead in our tracks. I'm talking, of course, about the tongue. There is power in the tongue within your mouth. Proverbs 18.21 says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. James 3, 9 to 11 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and we curse other human beings who have been made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be so. The tongue in our mouths has the ability to propel what God is calling us to do or to stop us totally and utterly doing what God intends for us. So over the course of the next few weeks together, we're going to be looking at a number of different things which might come out of our mouths. We're going to be looking at what the Bible says about lying. We're going to be looking at what the Bible says about gossip. We're going to be looking at what the Bible says about criticism. We're going to be looking today together at what the Bible says about complaining. And as we kick off this series together today, I just want to show you a picture which should come up on the screen at any minute. These are my three beautiful children. This picture was taken a couple of years ago. We went on holiday to the Isle of Wight together. It was a lovely holiday. And this particular picture was taken at Osborne House where we decided that we were going to go and spend the day. Now, looking at this picture, if you didn't know any context about this particular picture, you would look at the picture and think, wow. You must have had a lovely day when you went to visit Osborne House. Look how happy those kids are. Look how smiley their faces are. What this picture doesn't show you is what was happening precisely two minutes before this picture was taken. 
You see, Osborne House, which is Queen Victoria's kind of holiday home on the Isle of Wight, is owned or run by the English Heritage. Now, the English Heritage made one vital mistake, well, I think it was a mistake from a parental point of view anyway, when you visit Osborne House. You see, to go into Osborne House, first and foremost, you have to walk through the gift shop. Now, if you are a parent here of small children, you will know that children are attracted like a magnet to any old rubbish which is being sold in a shop, even if they have no intention of doing anything with it. They just want it. And for the whole entire day we were there, one of my children, who will remain nameless, I'm not going to drop them in it at any time this morning, for the whole day was literally going around this particular place saying, when are we going to go to the gift shop? I want to go to the gift shop. Why aren't we going to the gift shop? This is old stuff. I don't want to be looking at this. It's time to go to the gift shop. Please, can we go to the gift shop? And it got to the point where Gemma said, you are going to have to take this child away before I do something which I regret. <laughs> so I did. So I took the child away in question, and we walked, and we talked, and I tried to reason with them about how, you know, we can do that at the end of the day, and we're going to have a lovely day. And after a while of reasoning, and maybe a few threats here and there, they eventually calmed down, and this picture was taken. Complaining is not a new thing. We all do it. Humans have done it since the beginning of time. There are tons of examples in the Bible of people complaining. Right at the beginning of time, in fact, Adam and Eve, when they fell into sin, we see this picture of God walking in the garden, and Adam hid from God when he heard the the footsteps of God. And when God said to him, Adam, why were you hiding? He said, it was because I was naked and ashamed. And God says to Adam, who told you that you were naked? And and he he effectively turns around to God and says, well, it's not my fault. If you hadn't given me this woman, she wouldn't have got me into trouble. He starts complaining because he has slipped up and he has messed up. We could fast forward a little bit to when Israel, God's people, were in slavery in Egypt. They had it hard, but what did they do? They complained. And God hears their complaints, and he sends Moses and performs miracles through Moses, amazing miracles. People are set free, and they're en route to the promised land. But what do they do? They complain. We haven't got any food. We haven't got any water. So God does miracles. We don't like the food that you've given us, God. We want something else. Oh, if we were only back in Egypt... We even had cucumbers in Egypt. You know you're a moaner if you're moaning about not having cucumbers, don't you? They complained about their situation, despite the fact that their God was looking after them in amazing ways. And despite the fact they had everything they actually ever needed, they still moaned and they whined and they complained. And it gets to a point in the story where Moses turns to them and he says this, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full... Because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but it's against the Lord. And as we consider this subject for a brief time together this morning, what I really want us all to do, and I include myself in this, is to examine ourselves. And I want you to hear this morning, this is not a message of condemnation, this is a message of examination. Some people may already be feeling guilty this morning when I said we're going to be talking about complaining because, let's face it, you've complained. You got up this morning and your kids were an absolute nightmare and you complained about them. 
it, they took too long to get ready, so you complained. You may not have been, felt you were greeted properly at the door, and you felt like complaining about it. You may have, have walked in and thought things are too loud or too quiet, and you've complained about it. And when I said that we're talking about complaining this morning, actually, you've just felt a little bit got up. But as I preach this message today, I want you to hear that I haven't decided to preach this because I've got an inbox full of complaints. Rather, I've decided to preach this message and this series as an exhortation to all of us that if we are going to move forward as a kingdom people and have the kingdom impact that God wants us to have here in Plymouth, we have to be a people who speak words of life rather than words of death. We have to be a people who speak words of encouragement rather than words of criticism. We have to be a people who learn to build one another up rather than tear one another down. So let me ask you a question. And this is a rhetorical question, don't worry about it. But what is it in your life right now that you complain the most about? Let's face it, we all do it. And we are all pretty good at it. It might be. Stuff that's going on at work right now, like we heard at the beginning. It might be issues and problems in your family life. It might be something to do with the church. It might be the kids. But we find ourselves complaining about all kinds of things. Might not have enough money. We might not like the house that we live in. It's very easy to find things to complain about. But the reality is, generally, at the heart of complaints, when we find ourselves in that position is the fact that as God's people, we've taken our eyes off of him and we've placed them upon our own circumstances. We've placed them upon our own wants, our own needs and our own desires and that becomes the focus of our life. And you see, when that becomes central to us and the central focus is all about me and what I need and what I want, anything which comes in our life which threatens to disrupt or disrail the things which I need often turn into a complaint. And what I want to do this morning is to look at a text that we've heard read to us of a person who really had every right to complain. His life had been completely and utterly disrupted. His main desire in his life was not to be realized, yet he used his situation ultimately to glorify God. You see, Paul's heart and his desire, as we heard in Philippians, was to travel to Rome. He really wanted to go to Rome as a free man, to preach the good news, to tell people about this amazing God that he loves and he worships and he serves. He wanted to establish and to strengthen the believers that were there. And you know, Paul did end up going to Rome. But he didn't go there as a free man. He went there chained, and he went there bound, and he went there as a prisoner. He ended up confined, chained to a Roman guard 24-7, behind bars. I wonder how you would have reacted in that situation. I wonder how I would have reacted in that situation. I remember just a few months ago when I was having troubles trying to sort a house out in Plymouth, how much I complained about it. God, what are you doing? I've upended my family. We've moved to Plymouth and yet you're not sorting my house out. I complained to God about the situation. And in Paul's situation, honestly, I don't know how I would have reacted. Here is a man who'd been beaten who'd been shipwrecked, who'd been left for dead. All he wanted to do was go to Rome and preach the gospel. And yet he was going there in chains. But instead of his looking at his situation and complaining, he writes the letter to the Philippians. And in that letter, he pens these words. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, 
innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright stars in a world full of crooked and perverse people, holding firm to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Do everything without complaining and arguing. You know, research suggests that when we repeatedly complain about things, our brains actually get hardwired to do more complaining. So the more negative we are as a person, the more likely it is that we are going to end up being negative about absolutely everything. Have you ever noticed, for example, in your own life, how when you go into a situation and you expect that situation to be bad, actually, you go into it and you find that the situation is bad. It's called confirmation bias. You look at a situation with your mind already made up about that situation, that you're going to hate it and you're not going to like it and it's going to be awful. And when you go into that, you get what you expect. It happens in church all the time, and I'm not talking about Hope Baptist Church, I'm talking about the church in general. Maybe you, as a person, at some point have had a bad experience of church in the past. You've been mistreated, or you felt on the outside of things, or you felt like people haven't spoken to you, and things like this. And you decide that you're going to give church another go. So you come in the door, and you walk in, and you think, well, no one's going to bother with me. And not many people talk to you that day. And as a result, you say, see, I told you, I've tried but church is all the same. No one cares. Or you go thinking, oh, I'm going to hate a particular style of worship. The music's too loud. You turn up a bit early and they're practicing, trying to get their levels right. And you go, see, I told you, see how inconsiderate they are in this place. Happens in relationships too. Someone who has a bad experience of a particular relationship, maybe they've been mistreated terribly. And then they carry those thoughts and feelings onto their next relationship. They start to think to themselves, all men are idiots, all men are horrible, all men mistreat. And because they've got these thoughts before going into a new relationship, the moment their new relationship, the person that they're with, does something which is not necessarily perfect, they go, see, I told you, this always happens to me. It's confirmation bias. You get what you expect. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. They allowed a negative way of thinking to color everything. And as a result, they missed out on the blessings that God had for them. You see, by focusing on the negative, they didn't grasp the fact that the awesome God that they served literally rained down food upon their heads. By focusing on the negative, they missed the fact that God provided water out of a rock. By focusing on the negative, they ended up wandering aimlessly in a desert for years because they complained that the task in front of them was too big for them to actually fulfill. And when it comes to this subject of complaining, there are a couple of things I just want to touch on very briefly this morning about our own situations in life and how we can help ourselves not get into a cycle of negativity and not get into a cycle of complaint. And the first one is simply this. If you can change your situation, then do something about it. The simple fact is, This is not a message that we are there to sweep everything under the carpet and pretend there's not things which go wrong at times. And it's not a message that says, you know, if you have a concern about something, don't raise it. I'm talking about complaints and negativity. But if you find yourself in a place where you are negative, if you find yourself in a place where you feel like you are constantly complaining and you have the ability to do something about the situation, you're called to do something about the situation. Remember the man that we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the story of Nehemiah? Nehemiah was in a foreign land and he heard about the things which are going on in Jerusalem and they cut him to the core. 
So what does he do? He prays about it. He prays about the situation. He brings it all before the Lord. And then he does something about his situation. He puts a plan into action. And there's a challenge for us too there, church. If something doesn't seem right, if something needs to be changed, don't moan about it. Don't tell your friends how awful it is. Pray about it and graciously offer to be part of the solution. Who knows whether the contribution that you are going to make is going to make all the difference for the kingdom. Who knows whether the contribution that you are going to make is the contribution God has been calling you to make right from the beginning of time for his plans and his purposes and his goodwill. Secondly, I want to draw out of this particular passage today. If you cannot change your circumstances, then change your perspective. You know, the letter to the Philippians, which we heard read to us at the beginning there, absolutely blows me away. Because here is a man who is bound up in chains. He'd hoped to go to Rome as a free man, but ends up going there as a prisoner. And he writes this letter, which is simply so full of joy. In fact, look at what Paul says in chapter 1, which we heard a bit earlier. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guards and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters are becoming more confident in the Lord and dare to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul could have looked at his situation, grumbling and complaining, God, why have you done this to me? I can't believe that I'm here. I can't believe this has happened to me. All I wanted to do was serve you, God, and you've put me in prison. But instead, he says, this is brilliant. Because I'm in prison, the gospel's being advanced. Because I'm in prison, I've got a guard chained to me 24-7. He's the captive. He can't get away. He's got to sit here and listen to me talk about Jesus all day long. It's absolutely brilliant. And not only that, people are finding the confidence and the boldness to talk about Jesus because they can see what God is doing in my life. How was Paul able to have such a perspective? Quite simply, Paul was not the center of his own story. Jesus was. And as a result of Paul not being the center of his own story, he was able to take an incredibly negative situation and see it from God's perspective. And as a result, even in the midst of hard times and things that he struggled with, he still experienced joy. You know, the antidote to complaining and negativity is simple. If you find yourself in a place to do something about a situation, then do it. If you cannot change your circumstances, change your perspective. Let me tell you about a couple in this church who absolutely bless the socks off me. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to embarrass them, but they'll probably know who they are when I share this particular story. This particular couple fall into the older generation of our congregation here at the church. And shortly before Christmas, they came to me and they said, you know what? We struggle with a worship style at Hope. We struggle with the songs that we sing. We struggle with the way things happen. But we have realized that the only people that we are hurting by being negative is ourselves. So we have decided to have a perspective change. We have decided to embrace what is going on. And as a result of that, even though it's not our preference, we feel so much more joy and so much more included. You know, I look forward to chatting to this couple every single week because I know they're going to encourage me when I speak to them. You see, for them, they could have chosen to be negative for their entire lives and complain, but the reality is they realized, actually, in doing so, they were simply going to harm themselves. So they changed their perspective 
And as a result, they've been able to experience the joy of the Lord as they come to worship. And you know, whatever our perspective on anything, we can all learn something from that. You see, Jesus has to be the center of our stories and not ourselves. And when he is, no matter what life throws at us, no matter what comes our way, we can confidently say, my God is in control. My God is on the throne. God, you know what you're doing even when I can't see it. So I will embrace today and all that you have for me, even when I can't understand it. I want to finish with Philippians 2 verses 17 to 18 this morning. And this is what it says. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on a sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is chained. He's facing execution. His dream to preach in Rome seems so far away. And he says these words. What does it mean to be poured out like a drink offering? It's not really a kind of picture that we're familiar with today. Well, when a priest would make a sacrifice to God, maybe a lamb and they would make a burnt offering, they would also at times take the most expensive liquid drink that they could find, sometimes even things like honey. And as the burnt offering was being sacrificed, they would pour this liquid onto the burnt offering. And as they did, this burnt offering would start to smolder and smoke would rise like incense to God, this sweet-smelling smell to God. A lot of people think when Paul says this what he's talking about is his death the ultimate sacrifice but actually I don't think that's the case you see Paul uses here a present tense verb this is not something which is going to happen in the future this is something which is happening right now even if I am being poured out like a drink offering he recognized that his situation in life was hard but in the midst of it he was still able to experience joy why Because his perspective was on God and not on himself. A God who held all things together in his hands. And as we close, we are short of time. But I do want to just invite the band back up. We'll sing a couple of songs. And I'd like to invite people this morning for some ministry. Whether you're in a place which is joyful right now. Whether you're in a place which is hard, I believe you can experience the joy of the Lord and know that he is your strength. For some people in this place today, I believe maybe you have found yourself in a very negative season. Whether that's at home or at work, maybe you've been negative about church in the past. I don't know what it is for you. But there is something in your life right now which is affecting your situation and your outlook on everything. And God is saying today, I believe, it's time to stop complaining. It's time to have a perspective shift today. And he wants to help you have a new view. For others in this place today, maybe you can identify with Paul. You faced disappointment recently. Things have not turned out as you hoped or expected. And God, I believe, wants to say to you today, Even if you're being poured out like a drink offering, you can still rejoice. That's not brushing things under the carpet and pretending it's not there. That's allowing God to do a work in your life which only he can do. Thirdly, there are some people, I believe, in this place who have been very negative about things in their life, but actually they can do something about their situations. They just haven't done it yet. 
And I believe that God wants to say to you today, come on, I've given you hands, I've given you feet, let's go. It's time to start rebuilding. It's time to get up and do it again. You can get out of this season with the help of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Like I said, we're short of time, but I'd love to be able to offer prayer. So I'm going to ask the prayer team to go to the back today. I'm going to ask everyone to stand and we're going to sing. And if you want to receive prayer for any of those things this morning, as we sing, we'll sing sing one song and then we'll sing our closing song. During the closing song, if you've got children, feel free to go and get them. But as we sing, don't miss this opportunity this morning to receive prayer and to hear from God and to have a perspective shift. Let's pray, let's worship, and let's respond.